listening to Female VC Lab, a podcast that showcases the journeys of female investors. My name is Barbara Bickham, and I am an award-winning CTO and VC that teaches companies and investors about emerging technology. I am sitting down with female VCs and investors to talk about their funds, how they invest, and how they make an impact. Welcome to the Female VC Lab podcast. I have Elizabeth here today. Elizabeth, in one line, can you tell me your name, your title, and the name of your fund? Yes, Elizabeth Edwards, Managing Partner of H Venture Partners. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So what inspired you to become a venture capitalist or an investor? I got into the industry quite by accident. At the time, I had no idea how small or competitive venture capital is, to give you an idea. There are only about 100,000 people globally that work in venture capital. So Mm -hmm. that is the same number of people that work for Procter & Gamble. And Mm -hmm. if you compare it to my, not alma mater, but my, my dear former employer, Deloitte Consulting, Deloitte employs about 300,000 people globally. So I was working at Deloitte. I was part of a really amazing team of people that I'm still very close with. And we were operationalizing the work of Clayton Christensen, the man who coined the term disruptive innovation. Hmm. He was a Harvard Business School professor. So I was working for companies like Johnson & Johnson in their clinical and consumer divisions, Mm -hmm. basically identifying technologies for them to license and acquire over the next 10 and 20 years. So what would Johnson look like in 20 years? What do we need Mm -hmm. to buy or license or develop today in Mm -hmm. order to be the leader globally? And so worked on some pretty amazing projects and with a lot of entrepreneurs. So here I was, I'm working for a strategy consulting firm that's huge, working and my clients are companies that are huge And we're acquiring startups. And the people on the other side of the table were just so interesting to me. They were the risk takers, people that were putting a second mortgage on their house and quitting their job and going all in on an idea. And so I just found that to be very inspiring. And also the pace of work. Mm -hmm. So what I noticed about... So I'll give you an example. I worked on a project at J&J for Tylenol, which was their laser drilled holes. You might have seen their rapid release technology. That, yes, the um, rapid release. Oh, man, that rapid release is, it's so rapid. And it is. It only well, took a, for, ty- for a Tylenol. Yeah, it only, <laughs> it only took like 15 years to commercialize. They've had that technology forever. Yeah. And big corporate folks tend to be very measured, very careful about their billion dollar babies. Mm-hmm. A, a Tylenol brand is worth a lot of money. You can't make any mistakes mistakes. But entrepreneurs are making mistakes right and left. They're just getting the job done. And that was just a much more attractive lifestyle to me, which is you're not always going to get it right. Just 
do it. Do something that's good enough. Move forward and try and fail and try and fail and try and succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and so the culture of startups was attractive to me. I didn't even know what venture capital. I have a I have an MBA in finance. This is how far removed I was from venture capital oh, starting to get into it. And so my my stepdad got sick with melanoma, like version 3.0, this poor guy. And it was pretty clear that he was, that. yeah, you know, wear your sunscreen. He was a redhead. Well, exactly. Wear your sunscreen. Everyone. Um, everyone. Um, even ev- I wear my sunscreen. Okay? Exactly. Very important. Um, hey, Bob Marley died of uh, melanoma. I think it's, so that, uh, and, I mean, really was the reason that I decided, hey, I gotta, I love this job. I have got to be local. I've got to help out my mom and help out my stepdad. And so I called my senior manager at Deloitte who had just left. He was a Procter & Gamble guy, a Michigan grad. I'm also a Michigan grad. He was my mentor at Deloitte. He literally had just left a few months before. I said, hey, Richard, I need to get a local job like you. What would you recommend? And he goes, come work where I'm working. It's basically a family office that is looking to invest in startups. And I think you would be great at it. You've got a finance background. You've been doing it for J&J. Come do it over here. And so that's what I did. And I was there for four years and weathered the great financial crisis, learned a bunch of stuff <laughs> about what not to do. Always, always a lot to learn during the crisis period. Like the, the one that we're, we you learn, we, you learn yeah. who's the strongest, who's the strongest, will the strong, who's the strongest in fortitude. Were you really serious about your startup or were you really serious about your company or were you really serious about your investment thesis during crisis? Yep. You got it. Oh, and learn a lot so that. you learn a lot about people and now I look at people differently, you know, from that experience, which is what do I want to see in a co-investor? Are they going to also pass the hat, put some money in, help the CEO make payroll and weather the storm? Or are they going to get alligator arms and disappear when the check comes? And, uh, and so we had five portfolio companies, three of them like immediately went out of business. One, I mean, is, is the winner. And that was the first investment I made, a food technology company in California. It turned out to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just I learned a lot from having a very fresh, brand new portfolio and then boom, 08 hits. And then oh, went to work. Oh, and, and I think every crisis is different. It, it prepares mm-hmm. us more for the next one. I think the next one we're going to have is just more pandemic, but more climate change. I think COVID is so just... All, a, we'll see yeah. how it all evolves. But I don't, a, I don't disagree. There there may be more pandemics, let's hope. It's a dress rehearsal for how do we work together globally on something that, that's that really hard true. and life-threatening. And right now, I think where it's okay, you see the disparity between developing countries and developed countries, even developed countries. You yeah, see a lot of disparities. Period. You can see all the disparities. Period. So, it's very, it's very a lot more obvious. Now, yeah, which is good because unless you can't solve a problem, like how do you solve a problem if you just are have your head in the sand? You just don't know. You got to see it, and then you got to start measuring it. That's I was enterprise lean six sigma at Deloitte. Measure what you want to change, and mm-hmm. there are a bunch of things right now that I want to measure because there are things that I want to change. The primary one, actually, not climate change. Climate change is like number two. The primary one is the huge disparity in the capital markets as it relates to diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion. Big and gap. when you look at women and people of color 
and people that don't speak English as their first language, when you look at that 70% of the population, we are managing 1% of all capital. Wow. And that's what makes it harder for someone like Kamala to become president. That's, yeah, among, that's what makes other, among other people. That's what makes like, it. It was amazing. We got one, one right. person in there as president in general, just period after and, all those years. And I do think that because when Oprah said, right, when COVID hit, God has sent us to our rooms. The question is, for what are we supposed to be learning right now? Like we're in a timeout. What's the timeout for? And I think there was a lot of, and because of George Floyd, because of the murders that we saw in Atlanta of those eight Asian women. There, was horrible. There, are, there are huge, and I'm like, George Floyd is like one of like how many thousands and thousands. But yeah, the awareness yeah. that was suddenly the spotlights on the issue, which is, mm-hmm. hey, it's actually not, you know, it's actually not here. fair. There's yeah. a disparity here, like it's and it's obvious because it's interesting. I was watching uh, Malcolm X again, which was the one that Denzel Washington was in, and when it started, they had the Rodney King, and I was like around during Rodney King. And Me too. I was having my son at that time, so like I had to sit around and watch all that Rodney King and OJ as well. But when Rodney King happened. I was like, wow, this. I said, wow, this happened in the '90s. I said, it hasn't changed that much. No. Except, except like they didn't catch him killing anyone on video. Right, like just be- beating King. him to a pulp. They just like basically almost killing him on video. But I was right. like, wow, hasn't changed that much. That that was just a reflection because I'm like, okay, this happened and now this happened. And I said, yeah. it's not that different. And it's sad. Yeah, and, and so how do we change that? So measure what you want to change. Yes, we need to be really concerned about voter suppression. We need to be really concerned about executive privilege. We need to be really concerned about gerrymandering, money in politics. 100%. And that's that's our because our we have a capitalist economy and a democracy as a form of government. And, and we've been really focused on our democracy as if our capitalist economy has nothing to do with it. Yeah. And yet, when you look at the fact that un, unlike pay. France, because France doesn't do this, France doesn't have money in politics, and they copied off of our democracy. Only they one-upped it. But when you look at, hey, there's the election spending on some of these races is bigger than the entire budget for certain countries. Then it's you know, insane. like it's insane. Like it, the fact that you can have a super PAC and all that money, you don't know where like the transparency is not there. It's like the whole thing is insane, but it's been insane. Yeah. And you're right. Well, like the fact that you have to spend a billion or $2 billion to run mm-hmm. run for president or the hundreds of millions of dollars to run for Congress. It, it's insane. Think of how many people you could be helping with all that money. Right. Think, do, do you think we'd still have an opioid crisis? I don't think so. Uh, you no. know, I, Absolutely. I, and, and by the way, I'm in Cincinnati. You call the cops in Cincinnati right now. They well, may or may not come. I'm in Los Angeles. They, they, they still come. I don't know where I'm at. I've been yeah. in LA is weird, but where I'm at, I think they'll come. But fortunately, right. I haven't had to call the police. But the, don't know. The, Maybe they right. will and they won't. I right. right. Possible. Possible. I hope, not. I I hope you don't have to test it. Uh, um, yeah, me neither. Yeah. The answer is simple. Got to shine some sunlight and make this transparent. If you knew that UBS, Merrill Lynch, all these, wherever your retirement is, if you knew that 99 
to 100% of all of your money is being managed exclusively by white men, wouldn't you wonder whether it's a meritocracy or not? And I'm not saying that like they're doing a terrible job. No, the stock market kind of keeps going up and to the right. But is it possible that we could be including more people and doing better and everyone could be doing better and including yes. the guys who are running it right now? Sure. The answer so, is yes. And, and the statistics prove that. There's data around it now. Before there was no data. Oh, yeah, you could punt it because you didn't know. But now there's all this data around women and all this data around other diverse thinkings and other yeah. uh, other representations coming in. So you can no longer have the excuse of, I don't know, look, there's these 50 studies that say, oh, hey, maybe this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just, I'm a big believer in diverse experiences, diverse teams win. Blind spots that others have, you take advantage of opportunities that people would not even dream of not even right. think about because it doesn't occur to there are a whole bunch of things that don't occur to me. Correct. I'm not a huge baseball fan. And I know that like sports betting is a thing. That's something that I'm not going to really focus on, but somebody will. The flip side of that is there's a bunch of stuff that's on my bathroom counter that is not part of the daily routine of the vast majority of decision makers. Of other people. Right. Yes, yep. I agree. I agree. So this is a good segue. So what is your investment thesis and what is the motivation behind your thesis? Yeah. So H Venture Partners, we are a specialist strategy. So we specialize in consumer brands, specifically science-backed consumer brands. Typically, we're using the powers of Mother Nature to improve the consumer experience. So brands that are better for human health, better for the environment. In consumer, it's a really great sector to be investing in as a VC because only 3% of venture dollars go to consumer, even though it's 20% of our GDP. 69% of you know all of spending is consumer-directed spending. And 85% of that is spending that women are doing. Women... Yeah, well, we, we, yeah. all know it, it, yeah. we all know women do the majority of purchasing, no matter what. I mean, that's just... that's Yeah. Tar- yeah, a Target, if you listen to a Target earnings call, they call their shopper she because she is typically pushing the card and swiping the card. Correct. That's not to say that my husband loves Target, but who goes there more often? You know, we focus on a sector that's typically overlooked by other VCs because it's a highly technical sector that people mm-hmm. think, most people kind of armchair you know, quarterbacks are going to say, ah, consumer, that's Where's the technology? Pampers Diapers uh, got a hundred patents associated with it, and they can make a, a bajillion in co- consumer. That's a if they think that's a, a problem in consumer, you almost have to patent it to go out to a consumer. Otherwise, how do you protect it? Because yeah. then you're going to get all those Amazon ripoffs, not from Amazon, but people go and look at products and say, "Oh, I can copy this," and it is copied from somewhere else. So you want the patent there because <laughs> if not, it's going to be copied. And then where's your real intellectual property and your value? Yeah. So we love, we love those companies that have really built those deep moats, as we call them, which is a lot of times that's their intellectual property, Mm -hmm. their patents, trade secrets, trademarks, and just a superior product. So we're not really luxury investors, I would say. We love mass brands, like things that you are going to find at Target or Kroger or Walmart or CVS, Amazon. 
and or direct to consumer online. So I've been investing in companies now for 17 years, over 45 companies at this point. A lot of them, they're already exited. They're off to the races. Some of them have gone public. And this is over many firms, many, many different teams. Mm -hmm. But four years ago, I decided to start H Venture Partners because I saw this huge gap. And actually the founder of Daily Harvest, Rachel Drury was my, my, oh, I I love Daily Harvest. So great. I have some here in the office. Still in my refrigerator as well. Yeah. It's it's the best. I'm, I'm in love with all that stuff. So Rachel was raising her series A and their performance was off the hook. And I was just like, I I haven't seen anything like this since like Peloton. Um, That's saying a lot. And anyway, it just seemed like for a company going that gangbusters, people should have been falling over themselves to invest in it. I think a lot of people just didn't get it. It's like smoothies. Ugh, like who eats smoothies? And it's, I don't know, like every woman I know. Like everybody. Um, yeah. Like bodybuilders. Can you yeah. start naming just women? I mean, yeah. a whole culture of people that have smoothies, all those CrossFit people, you mean they don't have smoothies? Yeah, exactly. And that's really when I, and this is after God, I had been in the industry for so long, but I had been quite, how do I put this? I had been quite insulated from the Silicon Valley bro culture. I thought that the bro culture that I encountered was just like, hey, you're in the Midwest. Like people are old school here. It's the old boys club. I didn't realize it was actually, no, you go to Procter & Gamble down the street. It's very diverse. It took them a while to get there like everybody else, but no, there's great maternity leave at P&G. There are great benefits. There's look at their leadership. It Mm -hmm. looks like the United Nations and it's male, female, every it's everyone. And and same thing with tech companies, but for some reason, venture capital, the more I dug into it, I was like, oh my God, the reason why this woman's having such a tough time is because it's all dudes. Of course, they're not connecting to her origin story, which was she was breastfeeding her first baby. And like Mm -hmm. me, couldn't. that's how I came across it, breastfeeding. You you can't consume enough calories. Everyone thinks that you eat a lot when you're pregnant. Try breastfeeding because the baby's doubling, I don't know, every so many weeks. Every five seconds, it seems like. But but now (laughs) you've got like an actual human that is like doubling all the time. And so it requires that much more. So I was right. stressed out about food all the time. And am I getting enough? Like I'm feeling not right. I need to eat more. And, and those mm-hmm. smoothies just like totally saved my life. And uh, that's how she started the company. And I was like, yeah, totally get it. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I do literally the exact same thing. I had started doing it before she launched. Like I had my own perfect smoothie that was like right. high fat, high, you know, sugar, high everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of water in there. And just, it was frozen fruit and nuts and, and vegetables that I would just have the bags in the freezer. I right. throw it on the in. blender and then yep. boom, there you go. Mm-hmm. Tastes great. She just did that like with a Michelin chef and did it so much better and so much more conveniently. So I think there, I just think that there are literally millions of Rachels out there and mm-hmm. knew that a lot of people were missing huge businesses because yeah. It seems girly or I don't get it. How much do people spend on tampons anyway? So like, oh, I don't know, $5,000 in a lifetime. It's a, it's a, but the thing about consumer, if you hit the right type of consumer, if you think about baby products, which is one that people won't get, or like you said, tampons, which people may not get, like that's an infinite supply of people, like literally globally. That's an infinite supply of people. 
As long as there are women, you're going to need those. So the reality, or like children things, like as long as we're doing babies, people are going to need these things. Infinite mm-hmm. supply. Like people are always having babies. It's, it hasn't stopped. It's gone down a little bit, but it hasn't gone to zero. So it's just fascinating to me where it's like, how do you not get, this is almost like an infinite supply of something yeah. happening forever. Like until the end of time, like mm-hmm. when everything blows up on the planet. Like it, it, to me, I don't understand how you don't understand that because yeah. you have a wife or a sister or you've had a girlfriend, you you might have an aunt or whatever. Like you have a woman around, a mom, well, you have, hopefully. That's saying I have a black friend. Yes, because look, you have a wife, but she goes in the bathroom and she does stuff that you don't know about. That's true. A lot that's of true. stuff, a lot of stuff. That's and, true. and the lived experience, and I'm, I'm going to say this for guys too, because I, I've seen a lot of brands for men where I go like, you got to talk to the guys on our team because I'm interested, but I'm also, I know that I have all these blind spots. And, and so I really, hopefully each venture partners continues to look like the United Nations because I do think that just like I can't catch my husband up on 39 years of being a woman. He can't catch me up on 50 years of being a man. And there are some things that defy explanation. You know what I mean? Because we're different. Because we're fundamentally different. We are different. So like you said, and that's a valid point. We do go in the bathroom and take care of that in secret. Like we're not showing everyone that this is what's happening. That's an excellent point. And there are things that they do in the bathroom that we probably don't want to know about either. And and it's just because we're different. So it, it makes sense that that we do have that gap in our understanding. Yes. And it's, I just look at the gap in the understanding even goes to like, when you're at a party, you're there with your kids, or maybe you're just there with your your husband. The guys are talking, the girls are talking, and we're talking Mm -hmm. about totally different things because I'm, I'm catching up with my girlfriends on like, oh, you just had your first baby. Isn't it crazy how you'll never sleep soundly again? Like, but you, 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 you will, but just not the first few years. Right. You, you trust me, it, it does get better out this time. Oh, I'm, then, I'm then you have then you have uh, thirteen. Then good uh, luck to you. Then I'm so like, glad nobody warned you. Nobody warned you about there when they turn 13, 14, 15, 16. Like it's a oh, minute. It, like two, two. You know, like not sleeping, and then get the terrible twos. That is a thing too. But then they become teenagers, Three. and that's like a whole nother game. I have a I have an 18 year old stepson who is a okay, good so he's almost guy. at the end. <laughs> oh yeah, he's, he's he's going to college. He's he's a oh, good yeah, okay, man. Yeah. But I oh my god, talk about John 13, and I got 14, together 15, when he 16, was 17. like eight or nine. Oh, okay, so you and, went through it then. Oh yeah, cool. my goodness, I Kinda now like I what happened? I found myself. I'm like, am I starting to sound like my mom? <laughs> right. Ugh. Oh. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's how I was as well. My son is now 26, about to be 27. So oh and I was gosh. like, no one told me about these teenage years. <laughs> I said, nobody warned me about these teenage years. And I said, they seem to go on forever. Ew. They do stop. No, they stop. They yeah. When they when he turned 20, it seemed like it turned off. Mm. Like he that's- got 19, then 20, and it's oh, no longer teen anything. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. wow, that stopped. Okay, oh. thank goodness. But anyway, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So that will lead that this is going to lead to the next question. What are you currently learning or listening to or reading these days? Oh my gosh. So I am right in the middle of Peg Wyant's book, One Red Shoe. 
highly recommend for all the women on the line and men. One Red Shoe, it just came out. Meg Whitman, um, who was CEO of eBay. John Pepper, who was... HP as well. uh, Oh my God. I just ran into her on the street the other day. Did Um, you? Literally, yeah. Yeah, she was... Yeah. And she is so cool. I was actually a big fan of Kibby. I'll give you her email address. I was actually a big fan of Kibby. And that to me, it's sad that didn't fly because it was cool. I I was a subscriber. I loved Nikki Fresh. I thought that show was hilarious. Anyway, and it was just a really cool, it was a really cool media outlet. Meg Whitman reviewed it. John Pepper, who was CEO of Procter & Gamble and chairman of Walt Disney, and it's, it's actually a friend of mine that wrote it. I consider her a mentor too. I should probably tell her that. But anyway, she was the first female brand manager at P&G. She has four kids. Her oh children my. are wonderful, successful people. I don't know them well, but they seem pretty well balanced. They're all in great marriages, it seems like. She's been married to, it's actually, you learn in the book, her second husband, she talks about her early divorce and like the failure of that. But she talks about, I wouldn't really call it, she never really uses the word work-life balance. It's like work-life doing it. How do you it, maintain all of those things? Yeah. How, how, how do you like, it is a balance, mm. but I, I know what you're saying. It's not, it is a balance and not a balance. Like how do you maintain all those things happening in, in like that massive amount of multitasking? Yes. You have all these kind of different roles mm-hmm. that people put on you. Yep. And then how do you maintain these roles? But really, you have to flip it in your mind and go, I am a, I'm this individual and these are yep. the different things I do versus yep. like, I'm in this role. That makes put, it a little easier. Put your own oxygen mask on first. COVID was amazing for our firm. We have 15 million under management now. And, and that to me is, oh my God, such a That's wow. Amazing. And we have amazing portfolio companies. We weathered the storm with COVID because there was a moment when... People are really losing faith. Oh my gosh, is yep. this gonna, you have 2 million in, um, in this fund. Like how will anyone ever, you know, how will you raise a dollar now? The world is shut down. And we just kept doing it and kept going. And and here we are from basically like- Congratulations Jan- on that. Thank you. From January to now has been really busy. So it's tough. I can imagine. As things I, open up, you know? Yeah. So, you know, the, the pace is really accelerated. We're- we've hired more and more people and, and that always takes, it takes some time to get up to speed and where you're like fully 110% contributing person versus learning, learning, learning. Yeah. And, and which is also fun. And the learning part is fun too. But this, I, I think of Peg's book, One Red Shoe, because she goes, I'm at the part of the, the arc of the story. I'm right in the middle of the book and it's just fascinating. It's like how to live an exciting life, how to like live life to the fullest, but also mm-hmm. recognize when you're starting to burn out. The birth of her fourth child, she, she reports directly to the CEO of P&G at this point. And, and she's like the trail, they didn't know what to do with a maternity leave. That didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. Back then, I think if you were more than five months pregnant, you had to stop working because they didn't want pregnant people walking around. Wow. So it was just a different time in the 60s. And so it was, it's for me personally, reading this book when I'm like, oh, I'm like maxed out, man. I, I really, so this weekend we're going on vacation, celebrating 10 years together, seven years married up the California coast. Thank you. I am so excited. You'll be, you'll be here in California. Right. Uh, a week down. Thank you. <laughs> I'm in California all the time. I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, 
there, the, the whole point is she didn't have this balance, at least not when she's like on kid number four and report. But the thing that she did, and, and I think is the most important thing for anyone, men, women, but I know that women have the larger at-home burden, kid burden, you know, mm-hmm. of keep these people alive, make sure they get to school on time, the whole nine are mm-hmm. fed. And, and Peg was one of those that really delegated. I am, I was talking to this you know, nurse who's taken like heart measurements and stuff and making sure I'm not having a heart attack. And uh, I'm not newsflash. Heart is good. Thank God. You've heard it here first. It turns out I am fine, but yeah, got to get the ticker checked out. And mm-hmm. she goes, oh my gosh, you're running this firm and you have two little kids and your life must be crazy. How do you do that with two little ones? And I was like, oh, it's not them. No, I get home and someone <laughs> hands me a adults. cocktail and it's like I'm seen out of Mad Men. No, other people are doing all that stuff. I don't do the grocery shopping. Are you kidding me? Like delegate every possible thing that you can mm-hmm. because you don't have to do it. Other people right. can do it. And you right. can pay them $15 an hour or whatever the going rate needs to be for that type of position. But there's a reason why, you know, and, and for entrepreneurs to do it as quickly as possible, because you need all of that energy. You need that energy mm-hmm. so that it converts to patience, so that you have patience for yourself and your children um, and your husband and everybody else. And um, it, clears your mental, it clears your mental space as well, because if there's certain things you're not doing, there are other things you can be doing because that those things are not in your mental space. Like I have to do this. So it's also from that perspective, which makes it a powerful thing. I think that the, you're exactly right. I was talking to my friend Megan this morning, in fact, about the, the mental tax, which is mm-hmm. if you're, even if you're delegating it, if you're the one who has to coordinate it, and I just like made a observation, I said, Megan, in your household, who arranges and organizes all childcare? And she's like, I do. So for instance, like if your husband had a meeting and he had to like, and he couldn't watch your little one, who would have to get the babies? I do that. I'm like, but does he have the babysitter's phone number? Because I was going through this with my husband where I'm like, wait a second. Yes, I am arranging all child care, but we could actually job share or there you go. say, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on all things financial mm-hmm. and I'm going to make sure the mortgage is paid and, and payrolls run and I'll handle like taxes and stuff. Like I'm great at that kind of stuff. Bills get paid on time. House doesn't get whatever they do at four o'clock. And you're, you're great at organizing people too. What if you took all kid things, which is like making sure that school vaccinations are filed on time, remembering that it's teacher in service day and making sure that there's like nanny coverage or babysitter coverage or whatever. Right. Why aren't we with dual income families? This is actually what my thesis was about at Michigan. Dual income families really need to rethink at home organization. True. True. So this this can lead into our next and last question, which is 
in two years when we're talking, but we'll be talking before then. How do you see venture capital and or investing evolving? Because that kind of leads from the household question to this. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more participation in venture capital from retail investors. And by that, the SEC is opening up a lot of pathways for everyone to participate in early stage investing. That's going to be good. I I see what, and I do, because I, I do agree. It's good because access to an asset class, which has historically been the highest returning, the most tax efficient, all Mm -hmm. that, having that access open up to more and more people and Mm -hmm. also allowing all people to invest in their own communities and and invest well. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important. We're seeing that, not giving investment advice at all, but like with anything. This is not investment (laughs) And gentlemen. (laughs) So... Diversification is key and and making sure how much you need liquid and and really understand the risks that you're taking because venture capital is also, I think, the riskiest asset class. Maybe cryptocurrency is taking over as the risk. That's very risky as well. Both are risky. Exactly. From what you said, do you understand it? Is it clear to you? Are you sure this is a real thing? Just any, just like venture capital, you're going to do that a very similar analysis as you would in crypto as you as you do in venture. Uh, yeah. So I agree. It's like, but and then I do like the access to additional people because then you're opening it up for additional types of you know people to invest in a fund or people to like you know right. become an angel investor earlier or people to like really start participating at a point where it was very closed prior to and and the jobs act thank you president obama opened that up thanks thank my friend ruth hedges actually she was one of the she her part of that bill was the reg cf (laughs) crowdfunding love (laughs) she wrote that bill there you go kickstarter and and all of those and that's really what opened and now we see republican all of these great platforms emerging I think if you decide to get into it, educate yourself like anything else, educate. There's a great book called Venture Agreed. Deals by Venture Brad Deals, Feld. great. Brad yeah. Feld, that's absolutely the, the book of the thing to be from a VC side and also from a, and in a startup company or, or entrepreneurial company side. Absolutely, 100%. And check with lots of experts. So my, I read a lot of books, but I also, I, I always check with experts that are friends, make friends with as many experts as possible. And, and you can be, you always return the favor. There, there are things that I'm always one to, yeah, sure. Text me or hop on a really quick call. Like, how can I help you today? Help move things along in your life. And so I think the angel groups, funds that are designed for investors like you and Tap into those experts and test and learn. Don't don't invest all of what whatever you're going to allocate towards that super high risk stuff. Don't blow it all in one shot. Just watch for a while, learn, do your research, and it is a fascinating asset class. I'm super blessed to be in the field, and I'm super excited that we're seeing way more new fund managers, new platforms like this. We're going to see a lot more participation. And I think if we do our job and if if Congress and, and the Fed and some of these other the SEC, if regulators are willing to regulate and we can throw some sunshine on the lack of representation and just what you don't need to do anything more than disclose and the market sure. will do the rest. 
the market will do the rest. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll get some great transparency in the transparency in financial services. What could be better? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how do people contact you? The best way to contact me is either on LinkedIn, and you can find me on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Edwards, H Venture Partners, or on our website. And people always think, oh no, the website's like, no one, no one's checking that. That everyone is literally, checks your, yeah. Everyone checks uh, your website. Like right. if you don't have one, they think you're not real. Right. No. So there are, <laughs> there are a couple different pages there. If you're interested in investing in venture capital, you can find out more information. If you're raising venture capital, the pitch us page on our website goes to our entire team. So if you just oh, email cool. me, it's going to get stuck in like email purgatory or same thing with sometimes LinkedIn, it'll be in the inbox pur- purgatory where it's like, oh, there are a thousand new messages today. Like, whoops, <laughs> that's a little much. <laughs> And we do our best, but the investment team is every single one of them uh, gets everything from, from the website. So that's definitely the the best way. Wonderful. So thank you so much today, Elizabeth Edwards. It's been very informative from H Venture Partners for being our guest on the Female VC Lab podcast. This episode is brought to you by Trail and Ventures. Find and invest in the next billion dollar emerging tech company. Sign up for our exclusive content at https colon slash slash trailin T-R-A-I-L-Y-N.com to find out more. Find us on Apple on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening.